The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. Looking for the latest on the A's minor leagues? One of the latest additions to A's Cast is The Farm. A look around the minor leagues with interviews, updates, and profiles on the future A's tearing up the minors. Well, hello and welcome to our A's Farm podcast. I'm your host, AthleticsFarm.com Editor-in-Chief Bill Moriarty. And today, we're going to be taking an inside look at the A's 2020 draft picks. We'll be talking with A's special assistant and former scouting director, Grady Fuson. And we'll also be getting the inside scoop from A's area scouts, Rich Sparks and Jamel Spearman, who were the guys who scouted the A's second round and third round picks in this year's draft. But first, we talked with A's special assistant, Grady Fuson, and got his insights on this year's draft class. Hey, thanks for joining me today, Grady. My pleasure, Billy. So, uh, you know, obviously we want to get your impressions of of the A's draft class this year. But before we get into these individual players, I I just wanted to ask you a little bit about with all the unusual circumstances going on this year, just how different was the whole process of scouting and, and prepping for this year's draft? Well, I think it was extremely odd. I mean, everybody got shut down in March and you know, a lot of players that were chosen weren't even really seen this year, especially some of these high school kids that are from, uh, you know, colder spots in the country. So it made, you know, where you put them on the board a little bit more cautious and things like that. But the good news is our area scouts, our cross-checkers, Eric, they had seen a lot of these guys a year ago, last summer, some in the fall. So I think everybody felt pretty good going in. Yeah, I mean, I guess obviously everyone's got to rely on their sort of their past looks and and looking at video and everything. But uh, you certainly weren't able to get a lot of looks in this year. The college seasons was cut very much short. But um, I'm sure a lot of these guys had been looked at by your scouts for probably a lot of them since they were in high school, right? Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. well, let's talk about some of the guys that were brought into the A system this year. As we know, it was only a five round draft, so there are only five picks to make. But it looks like the A's got some pretty interesting talent. I think starting starting at the very top with their first pick, getting uh, Tyler Soderstrom out of Turlock. Obviously, a Northern California guy. I'm sure the scouts had gotten plenty of looks at him in, in high school. He didn't have much of a high school season this year, unfortunately. But how surprised were you to find him available? Did you have a sense he might possibly come to you there at that spot? And what did you really like about him? Uh, well, as we started to put the first part of the board together the first day we started meeting about five days before the draft he looked like the consensus amongst the group um, in that list of guys that could get to us so that's how it kicked off so you know when it's all said and done he did and uh, I think it's a great pick I mean this you know we haven't taken a high school catcher in quite some time uh, more or less a catcher at all in the first round and this kid looks like the total package. I mean, this guy's physical. He's athletic. He's got a plus arm. He's got now power and probably one of the most hitterish high school kids in the draft. So, uh, 
pretty good job there, I think. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounded like uh, everybody in the A's front office was pretty excited about him. Where do you feel he's going to end up? I know there's a lot of talk that maybe he doesn't end up as a catcher long term. I know he he likes catching, and uh, I think Eric Kubota has has said you know the A's certainly want to give him every every chance to stick at catcher. But what are your feelings ab- about his abilities as a catcher, and and if he has to move off the position at any point, what do you think the best options might be for him? Well, number one, he hasn't been catching all that long. But number two, we've uh, as a group. I don't know that we have any reservations of him not becoming a catcher. He's got very gifted hands. He's natural. He's flexible. Um, He, you know, like any kid, he needs to learn the ins and outs of receiving and and body movements and blocking and things like that. But he's so athletic that uh, there shouldn't be an issue. Uh, There was also video of him at third base. And you could see once again how how nice and easy and reactionary his hands were. So, you know, uh, who knows where the game goes from here, but some of us joke about in the future, if there is robo-umps, I mean, a catcher's all he got to do is stop it. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's not like all the skills of framing and everything are are going to be as important. So, uh, but But as a group, I don't think there's any reservation about him catching. Uh, well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, catching is, is there's a lot more to learn at that position than, than any position, and there's always a bit of a learning curve with any high school kid, no matter how talented he is. But obviously, if he can work out as a catcher, great. And as we know, going forward in the future, being able to play other positions is just about the most valuable thing you can do as, as any player at this stage of the game. Yeah, no doubt. So after your first pick, the A's started in with the uh, college pitchers because uh, I was expecting there to be a lot of college pitchers, and, and more than half of the five picks were college pitchers. But the first one you guys took was in the second round, right-hander Jeff Criswell out of the University of Michigan. So can you tell me a little bit about what made him stand out, what made him have a prominent place on your draft board and have the, have the team want to go with him there in the second round? Uh, stuff and makeup and pretty good numbers. So he's got big stuff and he's a big horse. Our area guy knows him very well. Uh, that was another thing I was going to say about our comfort zone with Soderstrom is that two or three of our scouts have knowing this kid, knowing the father, knowing the family for quite some time. And that made the Soderstrom thing even more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Back to Criswell. Our area guy, same way on him, knew him very well, knows he's a tough kid, competitor. He's got big stuff. It's not it's not the prettiest mechanics in the world, so we're going to see how that plays out once we get him. But, you know, we're getting a 97 and a wipeout breaker ball. Yeah, I know he throws hard. It looks like he, he can be a little wild and have some control issues, maybe doesn't have the most perfect command at this point. I guess those are the kind of things that you, you would look to start working uh, with him on uh, whenever he gets into camp and once he gets into the uh, development system. Yeah, whenever we know that's going to happen. So uh, after Criswell, with the third pick, you guys went with a college outfielder, Michael Goldberg, out of Georgia Tech. And of all the guys that the A's took in those five rounds, it seems like he was the most under the radar. I feel like a lot of draft analysts didn't necessarily have a lot of information on him. I think Baseball America had him ranked like around 
300 in terms of their top prospects. So can you tell me a little bit about what we should know about Michael Goldberg? Well, for the people that saw him the most, you know, he's not the most physical kid, but he's a, he's a double plus runner. Um, he's supposed to be able to move to center field with little issues. Uh, but more importantly, he's very, a hitterish kid. The analytics helped out on this. He's got a very high contact rate, low strikeout guy. You know, he's had big numbers at Georgia Tech. Uh, so here's another player into the system. Looks like, uh, I mean, it looks like he's got a fair amount of speed, like you said, and not much power at all, though. I think he hit maybe three home runs in his college career. So he looks to me like the kind of guy that could maybe profile as a kind of number two hitter, a guy who can really handle the bat and get on base in, in a spot like that. Is that how you see Yeah, that's him? what a few of our, yeah, that's how, that's how most people saw him. And I guess he's kind of played all over the field in Georgia, but it sounds to me like the A's are really kind of looking at him as a, as a center fielder going forward. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, there, there's not going to be a lot of value if he's a, you know, no home or left fielder. So right, right. <laughs> it's going to so, be it's, it's going to it's going to be imperative. Our area guy has seen him in center a couple of times. Now, why he didn't play it every day is is I, I don't know. But um, you know, with that kind of speed, yeah, you're that, hoping he just has those extra instincts to go to go to the middle. Right. Obviously, the ability to play center field makes a player like that much more valuable. Now, in the fourth round, you guys went back to the college pitchers again. You took uh, right-hander Dane Acker out of the University of Oklahoma. And I know the thing that always kind of jumps out about him is he threw a no-hitter against uh, LSU earlier this year. So I'm sure that got a lot of people's attention. But tell me what you like about Dane Acker as a fourth-round pick. Yeah, I, I, this is a good get, I think. Very good body kid. It's a good delivery. Um, so that helps you trust where the command is or where it's going to go. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's got uh, two secondary pitches that play. Uh, he's not a flamethrower, but he's 89-93, which is plenty. So I think this is a pretty good find. He looks like the kind of guy that really is more of a pitcher than a thrower. You know, it seems like he's got some pitches. He knows how to use them. He's got decent command, but he's not maybe a, a totally overpowering kind of guy. Yeah, he's not a big fastball guy, but I mean, when you, you know, I mean, if he can locate and execute pitches and have the right sequences, 89 and 93 is going to be just fine. He played at a bunch of different schools. I think he started out at Rice as a reliever, and then he started pitching as a starter at a junior college for a year, and then he ended up at the University of Oklahoma uh, this year for the abbreviated season. So I guess he's he's had work both in the bullpen and the starting rotation. Right, so he's had some experience in both. But, you know, we're going to groom him as a starter all the way. Uh, and the fifth guy you took, the final selection in the five rounds, was right-hander Stevie Emanuels out of the University of Washington. It seems like he might be a pretty promising young arm to be able to get in the the, the fifth round there. Yeah, another guy, not not a big not a big fastball guy, but locates his breaking stuff. Our area scout Jim Kaufman loved how this guy just pitches and competes. Um, so you know he's kind of a tall, gangly. A body guy with a little bit of a lower slot, if I remember. <clears throat> so, yeah, and I know he's you know. A, he, he's another guy that 
I think his first two years he was pitching out of the bullpen. And then this year, 2020, they moved him into the rotation. And I think he got about four starts in before the season ended. But I think he had an ERA under one <laughs> in those four starts yeah. this year. So I guess that got some people's attention and made it look like, yeah, this, this guy could potentially be a starter. Yeah, we're excited. Well, it seems like you got a lot of a lot of good college arms in there between Criswell, uh, Acker, and Emanuels, and then you've got that high upside first pick, the high school guy Soderstrom out of out of Turlock, and then you've got kind of a a more versatile uh, do it all kind of guy in Goldberg uh, out of uh, Georgia Tech. So it, it seems like a nice, interesting, well balanced draft. But now we're moving into this strange phase where there's all these undrafted amateurs out there that teams have to compete for and as we know they can only sign for a maximum of twenty thousand dollars so um there's not a a lot that you can uh, you can offer them and uh it's kind of an unusual time that that we're not used to being in with all these these guys out there so what do you think is going to happen with all these these undrafted amateurs floating around out there well i think there's going to be you know plenty of these guys signed uh, there was plenty of these guys that didn't want to get 20000 so they were cutting deals in the fourth and fifth round for the clubs that needed to save money. You know, like they overpaid somebody in the first round or second round. Right. They need to save money, so they just didn't want twenty. But I think it sounds to me like most clubs are going after seven to ten players, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you know, it's a hard thing to do because you're, you're trying to take all these guys and kind of rank them in their positions. And then you really don't have any leg up on anything. It's all 20 grand for everybody. So uh, it's interesting. And we have a call here in a few minutes and we'll see how everything's going with that. <laughs> well, we look forward to having some more names to be able to announce in the near future joining the A's system as uh, undrafted amateurs. Definitely an, an interesting draft this year and an interesting process for everyone to have to go through. Thanks so much for taking the time out to talk about some of these guys with us today, Grady. We always appreciate getting your insights. My pleasure, Bill. Stay tuned for more on our A's Farm podcast coming right up. Area scout Rich Sparks covers Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky for the A's, and he's been on the job for more than two decades. This year, he recommended right-hander Jeff Criswell from the University of Michigan to the A's, and the team took him in the second round, and we took the opportunity to get his insights on the big righty. Hey, thanks for joining us today, Rich. Oh, my pleasure, Bill. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, you're the A's area scout. I think you're based out of Michigan, uh, but I think your territory covers not just Michigan, but, but Indiana and Ohio and, and all the way down to Kentucky, if I'm correct. Yep, and uh, 26 years now. I've had uh, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, uh, 23 of those years. So, yeah, it's a uh, pretty good-sized area. <laughs> Definitely. That means you must have uh, you must have been the guy who scouted and signed Sean Murphy when he was playing in Ohio a couple of years ago. <laughs> yep, uh, yep. A few years ago, uh, Murph uh, graced us with his presence in uh, in an Oakland A's uniform, which was uh, a very good day for me. I'm curious when you first saw him playing there, what really jumped out about him at you? What made you sit up and take notice and think, hey, this is a guy that we might want to focus on pretty high in the draft. First thing you notice with Murph, uh, 
back, uh, you know, four or five years ago was his size. Um, when he went into college as a freshman, he was like 5'11 or 5'10. Um, when he was a sophomore, he was like 6'3. So he had really grown, uh, for one. But then, uh, you see him take infield, and, uh, the first thing you notice about that is his arm. Um, basically the best arm I've ever seen, uh, as an amateur player. Wow. Certainly he's had a reputation for a great arm ever since he's been on our radar. You must have really been looking forward to seeing him playing as a starting catcher for the A's this year. I mean, how gratifying is it for you to see these guys you've been watching for so long when they actually finally make it to the major leagues and are stepping up there in a big way in a, in a starting role for the major league team? You know, Bill, it's it's funny you ask that because, um, you know, obviously we, we do this job because we love the game. Um, and basically when you, when you sign a player, that's the ultimate goal is to make, make him, uh, make sure he gets to the big leagues if, if at all possible. And I will tell you this, I've had a, I've had a few over the years, uh, when they get called up to the big leagues and the club contacts you and says, Hey, we're bringing Murph up or we're bringing Swisher up or, or Blanton or someone like that. It's, it's, it, you feel like a father. I mean, I mean, I am a father, but, uh, you know, it's like one of your kids made it to the big leagues and you're so proud and you're so happy for the kid and all the work, hard work that they put in and, uh, you know, and, and the, and the guy's family and everything. It's just a, it's a great feeling and, uh, we just love it. Well, hopefully you'll, you'll get to see your boy Murphy in action before too long anyway. It, it would have been nice if we could have seen him behind the plate in Oakland starting in April, but uh, we'll take it whenever we can get it at this point. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's going to come sooner than later. Yeah, agreed. So we, we really wanted to talk to you today about this year's draft, though, because in the second round, the A's took one of your guys, right-hander Jeff Criswell, out of the University of Michigan. Tell us a little bit about what really popped in terms of Criswell when you looked at him. What really made him stand out, be a very prominent guy on your radar? Well, uh, going back five years, Jeff's been on the radar, uh, been on my radar for about five or six years. I've known Jeff since he's a 10th grader. Um, Jeff played on our East Coast Pro Team um, uh, five, five summers ago. And, um, you know, he was he was a an unpolished high school uh, pitcher, uh, knew, knowing that he was going to go to college, we, we just kept tabs on him. And he kept growing and get, getting stronger and getting a little bit more um, pitchability type stuff. And, you know, he did, we just watched him evolve from a very, very raw high school player to a professional prospect. Uh, you know, quite frankly, after his freshman year of college, uh, he really stepped up. He got bigger and stronger. And, um, you know, it's funny because he wasn't even going to be a starter last year. Uh, they had a, a pitcher go down uh, to injury before the first game. So they penciled him in as a Sunday starter, and he pitched very well last year. Um, but, you know, just watching the progression of how Jeff has gotten, you know, better uh, as the years have gone by uh, was just uh, a pleasure to see. He's a pretty big, strong guy. Is he maybe six four, and he's got a pretty solid build as well, right? Yeah, he's he's uh, well six four, two twenty five. Uh, you know, I talked to him the other day. He's like, yeah, I, I, I'm probably two eighteen now. You know, not playing and all that stuff is uh, taking a, a bit of a toll on him. But uh, you know, he's about seven, I guess seven pounds or so lighter than he was when he first started this spring. 
which is, you know, I guess understandable, getting out of the routine that he had been in. So can you tell us a little bit about his repertoire? I mean, what pitches is he working with, and how hard does he throw them? Well, he's got a basic three-pitch mix, uh, fastball, slider, uh, changeup. Um, fastball is anywhere from 93 to 97. Um, you know, he'll settle in at 93, 94, but he can get more if he wants it. Um He's got heavy sink to the fastball at times. Uh, he's got a slider that uh, can be a, a devastating out pitch. Um, you know, it's 82, 85, and, and it can be a, a generates a lot of swing and miss. Uh, Changeup has a lot of arm side run and sink to it. He throws that about 80, 84. Um, you know, he doesn't use the changeup as much as he does the fastball and slider for obvious reasons. Um, but three really good pitches and, you know, two plus pitches and, and an average pitch uh, with the chance to have three plus pitches in his repertoire uh, once he gets uh, once he gets his development going. Now, I, I know he in his college career, he could be a little wild at times. What do you think about his control? How's his command? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's uh, you know, it can come and go. Um, you know, I mean, let's let's face it. He, you know, he's 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 probably got to learn to pitch a little bit better, uh, a little bit more. Um, you know, and try to instead of trying to throw it 97 to 100 miles an hour, he still can get out at 93, 94. And a lot of times he'll overhump it a little bit and try to throw it through the wall sometimes. Um, but I think that's just a matter of you know him trusting himself and gathering himself, uh, you know, over the rubber a little bit more and straightening out his delivery some. I think, you know, and he'll, he'll probably be the first to tell you that if, you know, if he has a few touch-ups with his delivery, I think the command will come. Um, there's been stretches, though, where he's had very good games and very good command. Um, sometimes it just, uh, it'll go awry sometimes. It looks like his control has improved each year of his college career anyway, so it looks like he's headed in the right mm-hmm. direction. Like you mentioned, in his freshman year, he really worked primarily out of the bullpen, and he was set to work out of the bullpen in 2019 as well before he ended up taking on a starting role. How do you see him profiling going forward in terms of being a starter, pitching out of the bullpen? I mean, what do you think the prospects are for him? Well, I think, I think um, first of all, I think you have to, you throw him out there as a starter, uh, you know, in, in the beginning of his career and see how he handles it. Um, you know, like I said, with three, three uh, above average pitches and three quality pitches, um, you know, you got to give the guy a chance to start. And I think, I think with us, our organization, I think we do a great job of doing that, um, you know, seeing what he has, seeing how he handles things. Uh, before we ultimately move someone to a bullpen. Um, he's got the stuff to do it, and he's, he certainly has the makeup and the mentality. Um, I've been doing this for a long, long time, and this guy's got uh, hes got about the best makeup and uh, durability and uh, mindset as anybody I've ever scouted. Yeah, it'd certainly be great to see if he could work out as a starter. Uh, he'd be another uh, big arm to be able to add to the A's arsenal there. Having looked at him and, and seen him as, as much as you have over the years, uh, is there anyone he reminds you of? Do you have a comp for him at all? Oh, that is such a, you know, <laughs> um, I had someone else ask me that. and um, yeah, 
I guess if, if you're looking at our big league bullpen, maybe a, a Lutrovino. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got similar stuff. I think, I think if Jeff comes out of the bullpen, he'll be throwing as hard as Louie um, on a regular basis, and he's got that slider as well. I think what Jeff has on his, uh, you know, what helps him a little bit is, you know, he's got that third pitch. That, Louis, and I know Louis, he's a great, great kid, and, you know, he works with the fastball and slider mainly. And um, I think with uh, with Jeff, with the changeup, uh, I think I think he, uh, he has a chance to be a starter. But, you know, he that's I guess that's the closest comp I could come up with. Well, it's kind of interesting because this year, you know, the draft is so unusual. We only had five rounds. So I'm sure there's a lot of players you scouted that, you know, you had on your list at some point that in, in normal years might have been picked somewhere somewhere later down the line. But now we've got all these undrafted amateur players out there at this point. What do you think is going to happen with all these these amateur guys out there that weren't able to be drafted this year? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's hard to say and it's hard to tell. We We can't. You know, call agents. Agents can't call us until tomorrow morning right. uh, to see where they're at. Um, you kind of get a feel a little bit as this has gone as this has gone by in the last two three weeks. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of these guys are going to go back to school. To be quite honest with you, you know, a lot of guys that might have been sixth rounders or seventh rounders uh, are going to choose to go back to school. They got they got an extra year. Uh, so juniors are going to have two more years and seniors are going to have another year. So right. I, I think the, I think maybe the older guys that have one more year may choose to sign. Um, but certainly I think the the college juniors, I think uh, a lot of them are going to go back to school. Yeah, well, that would certainly make sense if they think they've got any chance of going in the top 10 rounds <laughs> next year. Right. Uh, <laughs> why not take your chances then? All right, well, it's been great talking with you, Rich. Thanks so much for giving us your, your insights. Obviously, you've had as many looks at uh, the A second-round pick, Jeff Criswell, as anyone, so it's uh, great to get your thoughts on him. Thanks again for joining us I today. Appreciate I appreciate it. My pleasure. Stay tuned for more on our A's Farm podcast coming right up. Jamel Spearman covers Georgia and North Florida for the A's. Last year, the A's took a pair of players he scouted, catcher Kyle McCann and right-hander Seth Schumann, in the top 10 rounds. This year, he recommended outfielder Michael Goldberg from Georgia Tech, and the team took him in the third round. And we took the chance to get his insights on the outfielder. Hey, thanks for joining us, Jamel. Bill, thanks for having me. So uh, I know you were the A's area scout for Georgia and uh, North Florida. Were you around back when uh, Matt Olson was uh, was a high school player in Georgia? So I, <laughs> I just missed him. I saw him play because I was actually looking to get into scouting. So I was actually at a game with Sam Hughes, who's now with the uh, New York Yankees, and I believe Billy O at the time was at the game too. We were at Parkview. And um, so I got a chance to see Matt Olson play. He actually hit a home run. <laughs> left center field, but luckily for us, we got him. But unfortunately for me, he was not my draft pick that year because I was not scouting yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's funny you just said Billy O was at that game. I think Billy O is at every game, if I'm correct. <laughs> every game, right? Every game. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. <laughs> the man's everywhere. If you're in Georgia, then you must have had a couple of the guys from last year's uh, draft for the A's. Their fourth round pick catcher Kyle McCann. I think he was out of Georgia Tech, and then the sixth round pick. Seth Schumann was also from Georgia. Did you get a lot of good looks at those guys in the past? 
I did. I did. Kyle McCann was a guy um, easy to get because Georgia Tech is Metro Atlanta. I live maybe 40 minutes away, but a uh, power five school, a uh, big left-handed bat with power opportunity to catch. Um, to me, that was a hot commodity. So um, I knew a lot of guys at Georgia Tech in terms of the coaches, strength coach, and they spoke highly of him um, in that in those terms. So got a lot of looks on him. And then Seth Schumann, he actually went to my alma mater, Georgia Southern. Not that I was biased or anything like that, <laughs> but I did like the fact that he threw a lot of strikes, fastball command, his competitor, uh, starting quarterback at Baldoff High School in South Georgia, which is like a Friday Night Lights type of school where it's like massive football. So <laughs> I knew he competed. I knew he was a leader, fastball command, stats were solid, solid kid, and my coaches raved about him. So two guys that I felt confident about and I had enough looks to be confident until Eric Kubota about them. Well, you must have been happy to get uh, two of your guys to go in the uh, top ten rounds last year. That's always a good year for a scout, right? It is. It's always a sweet thing. Cause it's, a, it's a crapshoot. It's luck. A lot of luck's involved, and a lot of falling parts have to fall in place. And just for guys like Kubota and um, Forrest to believe in what I'm saying, I mean, it, it means a lot to me. So when the names were called, it's almost like I'm a family member, and I get to call the guys. The best feeling is when you call them. Um, when they get drafted and say, hey, congratulations, and they're just ecstatic. So I really <laughs> enjoy that part of it. How much of a sales job do you have to do on the scouting director sometimes? You know, I mean, you're out there seeing these guys, <laughs> watching them a lot, getting a lot of looks at them. And, you know, sometimes I'm sure you're really high on a guy that maybe the organization isn't isn't completely sold on. And, and you know, you've kind of got to do a bit of a sales job, right? There's a little bit of that going on. But at the same time, I learned, like early on, I would, take it personal um if i really like the guy but I, I learned i said well you know what like everyone has a different opinion a different perspective in life and because i see it one way does not make it right or wrong and so i had to humble myself and uh, i work with a great group of guys so it's easy to respect their opinion and so if it's someone that they see differently than me i don't take it personal like it's fine as long as we get the best guy for our organization that's what really matters to me so if the owner's happy i'm happy <laughs> yeah that's there's a there's a lot of different scouts telling the scouting director, this is the best guy I've ever seen. So, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you're not exactly. the only one. <laughs> so exactly. um, so we, we really wanted to have you on to talk about this year's draft because this year in the third round, the A's took one of your guys, outfielder Michael Goldberg, out of Georgia Tech, the same same school that uh, Kyle McCann came from. And, you know, it seemed of all the guys the A's took this year, he was sort of the most under the radar. I feel a lot of draft analysts didn't have quite the depth of knowledge uh, about his game as they did of some of the other guys. And his name had maybe ca came up less in draft projections. So can you tell me what, you know, what it is we should really know about Michael Goldberg and what really jumped out about him um for you yeah so michael i mean i saw cal mccann the year before i scouted i scout georgia tech every year they always have someone so i saw michael actually in high school he was playing for a local uh travel ball team that's they have a lot of top uh prospects on the team carter keyboom who went first round to the nationals i want to say in 16 or 17 something like that mm -hmm. who just got to the big league so i've seen michael a lot and every time i saw him he just found the, the barrel found the ball like every time, but at the time of high school, he wasn't a very big guy. I just took note. I said, you know, he's kicking play, he can run, and he always hits when I see him. And so at Georgia Tech, it was the same situation. His freshman year, he wasn't a highly touted guy, but a few injuries here and there, he got put in the lineup and he just hit. 
And I'm like, oh, this kid's still hitting. <laughs> and then last year, same situation here in front of Kyle McCann. He's still hitting. And on top of that, he's a runner. Like, he can really run. And so the question was, well, what position will we play? Because last year, he played DH first base, and that was due to an injury. But luckily, I had history in terms of him playing center field. I was like, well, I've seen him do it before, so I think he can do it. Um, and that's what I went with. I saw a kid that can hit. Uh, he could run, a seven-runner, um, a genius off the baseball field. He's got a 3-9 in industrial engineering at Tech, which is a hard degree. Um, Stand-up guy. Everyone I talked to, they love the kid. And I said, well, we have an athlete here who's got baseball skills, and he's a genius. I think he'll figure it out. <laughs> so, so I didn't really buy into the stats as much. I mean, stats are easy. Like, he led the ACC in hitting this year. Last year, he was second in ACC. But mechanically, there were some things that he was, he was doing mechanically that I really appreciated. Not to give out any secrets, but mechanically. Like, there were some things he was doing. I was like, you know what? Like, he had a simple approach. The body works. It's synced up. I think he's going to keep hitting. So if he can continue to hit and play center field, like that's, to me, that's a steal. In my so, opinion. so it sounds like, from your point of view, he really was a, a fairly polished hitter who looked like the kind of hitter that could really continue his success through professional ball then. Correct. That is correct. And it looks like just from the stats, I mean, he certainly looks like a very high on-base percentage guy. Like you mentioned, hit for a very good average. I think he was second in the ACC the previous year, and he was leading the ACC in hitting when this season ended. I think the only thing is, obviously, he hasn't shown much power. I think he's hit like three home runs in his college career. Can that sometimes depress one's valuation of a guy? Because sometimes as you move up the ranks, if you don't show much power, they can kind of start to kind of start to close the walls in on you a bit. <laughs> that's true. No, that's that's a great point, Bill. And I, I took that into consideration. I really did. Um, I didn't want to go and be naive and uh, not think about the fact that he's not impacting the ball. But to me, it was it was not a guy that was a slapping Judy hitter that was taking advantage of using the aluminum bat. Like he actually squared up balls. And if you went back in his track record of the top arms he's faced, he hit like over 450 of guys that got drafted pretty high. And so. I figured if the kid can hit, he's going to get stronger. He's got the body to get stronger. Eventually, the ball's going to go a little further. And even if he's not a power guy, again, you have a guy that can play center field. He can hit and he can run. At least he can get on base and let the big guys like Olsen drive him in. I think like you mentioned, he's got a little bit of speed, too. It looks to me like you could kind of profile as like a kind of classic number two type hitter. Um, what do you mm -hmm. feel about that? That's exactly what I was thinking in my thought process. It would be this perfect number two hitter. Yeah, Get I mean, on base, control the zone, and just let the big guys drop him there. Yeah, he can obviously handle the bat. Now, you mentioned him playing center field, and, and I know he's played center field in college. A lot of the draft analysts mentioned that he might not stick in center field going forward, that he didn't have, you know, a really strong arm. And I know uh, you and both Eric Kubota, I've heard, have mentioned DAs really believe in him as a center fielder going forward. So can you talk a little bit about that, the whole position situation with him and, and how his arm maybe plays into things? Yeah, so going into Tech, he was actually a shortstop, played shortstop second base. And he had an injury when, against UGA, actually where he tweaked his labrum, got worse, and ended up having a labrum surgery. And so he had the surgery, recovered. That next year, which was last year, sophomore year, they primarily used him as a DH first base. 
Um, so he didn't really get much action in the field. So a lot of scouts didn't see him. Like they didn't know what he was as far as mm-hmm. position-wise. And luckily I had the history of seeing him before all this happened. So I was like, you know, I, I've seen him do it, right? So I, if he can do it once, he can do it twice. And then this year he played left field. They had another center fielder there that the program felt more comfortable with. Um, but I had talked to a few guys that were around the situation. They said, Jamel, this kid, like he can play center field. Like he's a seven runner. Just pay attention to his read in left field and you'll see it. And that's what I did. I was like, well, his read in left field is solid. Like he's comfortable when he feels the ball. He's, he's tracking balls. His range to the gaps was amazing. I think he could play center field. Like I really do. And so with the arm, it actually got better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, after the surgery, it was shaky, but it got better over time and over time. And I talked to him about his throwing program, and I put two and two together. I was like, you know what? I said, no, I'm going to be fine. It's good enough to be average. So <laughs> I was convinced. I saw enough to believe in it. Well, I think he, the main reason he played a lot of DH in his sophomore year is he'd had a shoulder shoulder injury. I'm not sure if he, he'd had surgery or what, but how much did that factor into thinking? And did you guys do due diligence on the medical history with that shoulder injury and everything? Yes, they, we did. Our medical staff, which does a great job, they uh, took care of that. I didn't, I had no part of that. All I did was I got the information and I presented it to the medical team and they did their magic. And so whatever they came away with it, um, they felt confident enough to take him uh, where we took him. And you also mentioned about him playing different positions. Like you said, he'd played some infield. He'd played first base. He'd played left. He played center. Mm-hmm. He did. Uh, how much did his versatility in the field factor into the thought process about him? It definitely factor in. I mean, anytime you have a kid that's versatile and can hit, I mean, that increases a stop, right? Because, I mean, to find a guy that you really believe in the bat, and then they're versatile. It just gives you so many options um, to do with them. So I, it definitely helped. Yeah, I mean, obviously, versatility is just valued more and more highly all the time these days. So I'm sure for mm-hmm. any uh, any young players out there, if you can play around the field, you're only uh, helping your draft <laughs> stock. That's for sure. Just to wrap up our conversation about him, is there are there any comps you can offer on him? Does he remind you of anyone? Does he put you in the mind of anyone you could compare him to? Um. Chris Taylor a little bit, but he won't have the power. I think it's Chris Taylor, mm-hmm. right? But I think it's a similar type of frame. Um, his athletic is lean. Um, for me, that's what it was, just a tick less power than Chris Taylor. Right. So uh, a yeah. solid hitter. You can play around the field and uh, know he's going to get the job done one way or another, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's correct. Uh, All right, great. Well, that certainly gives us a lot more on Mr. Michael Goldberg, the A's third-round pick this year than we knew before, and who better to give us the insights than uh, the A's area scout, Jamel Spearman. Thanks so much for taking the time out to join us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. And thanks to all of you out there for listening to this edition of our A's Farm podcast. Be sure to check back in for the next episode. And don't forget that you can always find updates on the A's top prospects and all the news about the A's minor league system on our A's Farm website at athleticsfarm.com. That's athleticsfarm.com. Thanks again. I'm A's Farm Editor-in-Chief Bill Moriarty. We'll see you again down on the farm. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 